Hey, welcome everybody to episode 46 of the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Carmen Mazoda, community planner from the city of Kamloops, and we discuss new zoning changes for the majority of the core areas of the city of Kamloops. We talk about the impact that the city hopes to achieve by making these changes. As well, we discussed common concerns associated with making legal suites more attainable for Kamloops residents. So stay tuned. Meet Parker Bennett, real estate agent. Parker loves Kamloops. Parker has a background in building inspections, so he knows houses. This is the Kamloops Insider with Parker Bennett. Okay, welcome everybody to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. I am your host, Parker Bennett from Royal LePage Westwind Realty, and my assistant Tina Head is in the room with us today. Say hi, Tina. Hi, guys. And uh, today we have a special guest from the city of Kamloops. It's Carmen Mazada. Is that how you say? Uh, Mazoda. Mazoda. That's close enough. Okay. Yeah, it's all good. And uh, we're, he's a community planner for the city of Kamloops. And today we're going to be discussing a really interesting topic dear to my heart, which is sweets in Kamloops. Mm-hmm. And uh, to start it off a little bit, Carmen, why don't you introduce yourself and, and let us know a little bit about you? Yeah, thank you. So um, my name is Carmen Mazota. I'm the community planner with the city of Kamloops. So I've uh, been in that role now for about three and a half years, been with the city for about seven and a half years. And I was the staff lead on updating our residential suites project. Um, I also work in long range land use planning. So worked on our official community plan, CAM plan, as it's known, uh, and the downtown plan, which we've also just uh, launched a draft of that for for public review and feedback. So. Is that out now? It's out as of yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah the draft. Through that recently. Yeah. yeah. So, um, are you from Kamloops? Are you a Kamloops guy? Yeah, originally uh, a Kamloops guy. So I was, you know, like a lot of Kamloopsians, went to school here, yeah. left, went away for school and travel and living. Kingston? Did you go to Kingston? No, I didn't. No, oh, I saw your backpack. No, your, uh, laptop. okay. I so I, so in, in my in my spare time, uh, I coach the university cross country and track teams. Right. And so, yeah, that's just a bag. I we were at nationals in Kingston last year. So okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, explain to me a little bit about what what the role is of a city community planner. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so. There's sort of two forms of uh, two types of planners within the city. There's current planning, um, which is our planners that, you know, focus on if you've got a rezoning, if you've got a, a subdivision application and working with applicants on sort of current planning issues, current applications and bringing those to council. Uh, working with applicants and moving those forward. And then there's the long-range planners that deal with more sort of long-range, long-term land use planning. And so we do things like our official community plan, um, which governs planning and land use management over you know a 20-year period and beyond uh, and kind of determines where do residential areas go, where do commercial areas go. And that's that's sort of the mother document for the city. Uh, and everything else within the city, zoning, bylaw, et cetera, transportation plans, they all need to kind of fall in under that and, and align with that official community plan. Uh, so right now we updated CAM plan, that official community plan. Uh, it, it was adopted last year. Uh, and now our current planning group is in the process of updating the zoning bylaw. So there'll be an engagement process for that too, but it's about bringing the zoning bylaw, uh, in line with the official community plan. Yeah. Cam plan. Just for people who don't know what cam plan is, maybe discuss, why don't I give you my take on it? Yeah. And you correct me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The vision of cam plan is like the mission statement for each of the little components 
housing, infrastructure, schools, hospitals, that sort of thing. It's like a mission statement. And from that mission statement, when you guys make changes or upgrade zoning, for instance, you have to defer back to that camp plan to align the direction of where you're going. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, the camp plan has, has a, a broader vision statement and these broader land use designations in it. So, you know, there's, there's commercial land use designation. And underneath that, under the zoning bylaw, you have specific uh, zones. Uh, so there'd be, you know, arterial commercial, local commercial, neighborhood commercial, et cetera, service commercial uh, that pertain to, you know, on a lot by lot basis. Uh, it, what, what does that look like in terms of setbacks, height? How can you kind of regulate on the lot, uh, siting of the building and all those things, right? Uh, area, max lot coverage. And so that's the zoning bylaw and that's where it really gets applied. The OCP, that can plan exactly. It provides that high level direction uh, and then the zoning can get a little more specific underneath that. And then underneath that, we've got, you know, development permit area guidelines where those help regulate the form and character of types of development or certain areas of town. So commercial, any commercial development, multifamily development, um, uh, industrial development, intensive residential development, any of those kind of things. If you want to do that type of development, you also have to get a development permit, uh, which, again, helps control sort of the look and feel of the right. building you're trying to build. Yeah. So if I chose to be a community planner, what are the, what's that core background that would give you the tools to be able to work in the environment that you work in? Well, I think it's a few things. I think one of it uh, is, is the planning designation. Uh, and then it's also uh, in going through, you know, planning school. Uh, but then there's also sort of, you know, back, back door routes, I guess, into that where, you know, if you have... Uh, applied work. I mean, you have to have done work in in that that area. Sure. Um, and uh, I came at it actually from from a master's of sociology, uh, where I was doing more social planning work, and that segued into affordable housing work and food security work. And it was sort of a natural transition to sort of expand that out to um, to community planning, right? right? So to sort of you know cover the whole gamut. Others kind of went through the planning school route. Uh, and that's the most common, but there is sort of a prior learning and assessment and kind of recognition route where you get certified uh, that way. And someone like myself, who's just had years of experience with the city. Um, it was a natural transition, and, and that happened about three years ago. Okay. Um, and uh, generally, yeah, I mean, it's it's it also has to be someone who has an interest in this kind of thing in terms right. of um, in terms of planning, um, you know, and 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 wanting to sort of you know look at how we. Uh, we, we, we move around and live and inhabit spaces within our cities, right? Like you have to have an interest in that kind of thing. And I, th I think, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting, uh, what, you know, talking to say realtors, because I think a lot of realtors, when, when you talk to them more than, I guess, sort of the general population do have an interest in that kind of thing. So I think it dovetails nicely. Um, I mean, you know, you guys are in the business of, uh, selling properties and, uh, and, and a lot of what you guys do, you have to have that, that bit more fine grained understanding of, of zoning and, and land use. So it's great to be able to come on and, and chat with you about, you know, uh, what we've done in terms of our suites, um, you know, bylaw amendments and things like that, just to make sure we're all on the same page. So when you're working with prospective home buyers or sellers and, and, and the people you guys work with that, that you guys are as informed as possible too. Do you think there is like, um, I don't want to say a disconnect, but maybe a realization that there's the idea of the fast and furious developer who's like, I see a chunk of land. I see the vision for that land. 
I, I see the profit margin for me. Mm-hmm. I see how great that could be for that era of city. But that does not line up with camp plan or the strategic plan for the city in that area. Do you see that a lot with developers or maybe like smaller time developers who maybe don't really understand the bigger picture? Um, I don't mm, want to say real. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's I a smirk at that. I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I think our development community, you know, when we developed cam plan, uh, we really worked at meeting with the Canadian home builders association, central interior, working with those guys, making sure that, uh, there was that back and forth in the development of CAM plan. Um, and so I, I, I think in terms of the larger developers and those who are involved with CHBA, I think there is um, there is that understanding. And, um, you know, I think, th- you know, there, there is times where, you know, we need to balance the need to, to grow and provide housing and uh, amenities in our community also with the realities of climate change and sustainability. So, um, you know, in terms of say, if someone wants to come in and, and, you know, develop, a uh, a parcel of, of, um, of, of greenfield land. So undeveloped land that's, that's currently in a naturalized state and put up a bunch of single family housing. Um, you know, we have to weigh those needs, um, and those, those interests against the needs of the, you know, community in terms of wanting to build more, uh, of a compact, sustainable uh, city, and also in terms of uh, impact on services and infrastructure. So sure, when a new subdivision goes in, you know, um, developers usually pay for that through development cost charges and, and help put those pipes and sewers in, um, and utilities in, infrastructure in, roads, et cetera. Um, ultimately, down the line, when maintenance is required and, and those assets need to be managed because they become city assets at that point, um, that's where the taxpayer really is, is on the hook for it. And, and when we put in a new subdivision and we have to add a park because we want to make sure we have like a park there, whether it's a dog park or neighborhood park, whatever amenities we put in, then it's staffing in terms of going out to those areas and, and maintaining those areas. So, um, you know, we also have to think about that, the cost effectiveness of services and infrastructure impact on the tax base in the long term. And I think the city... Uh, is doing, uh, in cities in general, uh, I think asset management is something, so how we manage our roads, you know, our, 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 our utilities, et cetera, in the long term is something that I think, you know, across North America, um, has been an issue. And, uh, I, I like the fact that, you know, here in Kamloops, we've been quite proactive compared to a lot of other communities in terms of that asset management piece and sort of thinking, okay, we need to be putting money away for the long term. Um, so the city is, is working on that right now and, and thinking, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years out, you know, having a timeline and a life cycle on, on every piece of, you know, um, civic infrastructure we have. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that understanding though, of thinking of that bigger picture again, I think those that we work with, uh, you know, in terms of the home builders, uh, and those that we work with when we're developing cam plan on the plans, like, I think there is that understanding, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think, uh, you know, in general, I think there's, there's a pretty healthy, good relationship and dialogue between the development community and the city. How many planners are there in Kamloops? So in, in the city of Kamloops? Yeah, in the city of Kamloops, how many community planners would be staffed? 
Yeah. So we right now, in terms of our long range planning team, there's only three of us. So there's um, uh, our community planning and sustainability manager, Jason Locke, myself. Yep. Uh, and then we have a, a planning assistant, Andrew McCulley, who who works with with uh, Jason and I. Okay. So there's the three of us. And our current planning end, um, there are, uh, I believe, about seven um, planners, including a couple managerial positions. So uh, it's not a huge team, um, which is part of why... Um, perhaps, you know, when we think about suites, this project, uh, you know, it's a big project project and we're also working on things like downtown plan. And really we have a team of three to do these long range items. Uh, so, you know, we have to be very efficient with our time and it's, it's extremely full on. I would say there's never a day that, uh, on, on our jobs that a minute goes by that you're not, um, you know, uh, you know, going full tilt. Like there there just isn't, there isn't, uh, there isn't downtime really ever. Well, all that being said, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Yeah. We'll get right to the point. Yeah. Um, okay. So recently the city made changes to our zoning definition. Can I say it that? Is that, does that make sense? Our zoning bylaw. Yeah. Our yeah. zoning bylaw has a lot, there's now more availability for suites to be built yeah. in, in zoning requirements for previously you could not build a suite right. legally. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain to me, I, I don't need all the details, but yeah. you can, can you explain to me how that came about? Yeah. How you guys came to resolve the fact that now an RS1 zone, mm-hmm. can now you can legally get a permit and build a suite if you meet these mm-hmm. newer requirements, but at least they're available to you now in an yeah. RS1 zone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there was a recognition uh, for some time that um, our zoning bylaw was was too restrictive in terms of allowing uh, secondary suites, so you know, basement suites, right. uh, suites inside the home, and also... Uh, you know, we wanted to look at those accessory dwellings in some communities that call them laneway homes. Um, we call them garden suites and carriage suites in our community uh, on single family lots. And when we look at uh, the province as a whole and our comparable communities, uh, really, the you know, when we started getting this project in 2018, uh, the, the last two comparable sort of mid-sized communities um, that, that had not updated their zoning to allow uh, suites in a wider range of zones were Kamloops and Chilliwack. Oh, wow. And so Chilliwack updated theirs in, uh, it was adopted in June 2018. So really it, it was us. Okay. And, um, you know, a key piece I think is looking at the fact that in the city of Kamloops, you know, there, there was approximately 200 uh, legal suites, so suites that were built under a building permit uh, in the city. Um, and we knew through CMHC data, StatsCan data, and, and doing our own analysis that, that there's about 6,000 uh, total suites in the city. Um, and so really that's, that's 5,800 uh, of, of the 6,000 suites roughly. Uh, again, there's, this is give or take uh, yeah, a few, but you know, that, uh, that are, yeah, uh, unauthorized, yeah. right? So, you know, a key piece for us, is thinking about health and safety, right? If we don't, uh, if that suite wasn't built under a building permit or hasn't been inspected, we have no way of knowing if that's safe for the tenant living in that suite. Uh, it may be, it may well be that whoever put in the suite was uh, was mindful of that and really thinking, wanting to provide a livable environment for their tenant. But tenants deserve that, right? I mean, right. anyone uh, in the city uh, deserves uh, safe, affordable, appropriate housing. I mean, that's that's within our affordable housing strategy. That's that's a key. Uh, piece in terms of um, CAM plan and other things, uh, other documents within the city. 
So, so that was something that, that we really wanted to look at for some time and, and how could we maybe reduce some regulatory barriers to allow people to, you know, do the right thing and, and, you know, legalize their suite under a building permit or if they're building a new suite or adding a suite now, you know, come in and, and get a building permit and make sure it's inspected and safe. Um, and in June of 2018, uh, council passed a motion uh, for staff to move forward with this project. And from there, it just moved really fast. We already had direction in some some planning documents to that point. But council passing that motion really, really uh, did sort of speed things up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's well receptive amongst most community members that own houses because they have now the, this option to them, right? Yeah. But I still think it's fairly relatively misunderstood. Mm-hmm with, well, what does that really mean? Does that mean mm-hmm. now I can go and sneak that, you know, Facebook Kijiji kitchen that I bought mm-hmm. into my basement and right. get the for rent sign out, right? Right. So I assume, yeah. I'm making an assumption that the city had an objective to meet safe and affordable housing, mm-hmm. uh, life and safety primary, mm-hmm. you know, at the top of the list. Um, but we also had like really low vacancy rates for a really long time in mm-hmm. Kamloops. And if if we have really low vacancy rates, it's kind of hard to meet the affordability factor, right? Yeah. Because the demand is just going to increase that price. Mm-hmm. So we now have the ability, we can build um, basement suites, carriage mm-hmm. homes, um, garden suites. Can you just actually give us a definition yeah. on what the difference between a garden suite and a and a carriage home is? Yeah, and that's and that's great that you mentioned that. So a, a, a secondary suite, I think, is pretty clear. It's, it's, a, it's a basement suite or it's a suite within your home. Um, and there's building code regulations on how big that can be currently, uh, you know, 90 uh, square meters or, you know, roughly 900 square feet, like a little less than that, uh, or 40% of the buildable of the livable area of, of your principal dwelling. So no greater than that. That's a building code thing provincially. Um, and then in terms of garden and carriage suites, what we're looking at is when we talk about garden suites, that's an accessory dwelling on your single family lot. Now garden suite is one story. Uh, with a max footprint of 80 square meters, a carriage suite is two-story. So in Kamloops, that's really a garden suite is one-story, carriage suite is two-story. The carriage suite could have a garage with uh, residential living space above, or it could be just a two-story carriage suite, right? So right, okay. um, that's really the key distinction is garden suite, one-story, carriage suite, two-story. Now, carriage suite, uh, I should mention, are not, we did not uh, uh, amend our zoning to allow carriage suites at this time in more areas of the city. So we amended our zoning to allow secondary suites and garden suites in uh, most, a majority of urban residential zones. Um, the primary change being adding them to the RS1 zone, as you mentioned, which is our our primary single family zone in the city. So secondary suites were already permitted in uh, large parts of the east end of downtown, North Kamloops, um, in some areas of North Shore, uh, Brock, et cetera, under the RT1 zoning. Right. Um, but now we're allowing them uh, pretty much in, in all urban areas uh, in terms of, of zoning. So uh, there are a couple zones that don't allow them. So Bearland Stratas, um, you know, that, that's something that we didn't, we didn't want to wade into. Uh, so uh, that, that can be regulated by Stratas. So they're still not permitted there. They're not permitted in suburban or rural neighborhoods. Um, but RS1 zone... Uh, and a few other zones without going into too much detail, essentially urban residential areas of the city 
urban residential areas now do allow uh, secondary suites and garden suites. Carriage suites are permitted only in the RS1S zone where they were right. previously permitted. So those are zones generally, if you see them, uh, lots in the city that, that were the subject of a rezoning initially. There are some pre-zoned lots in Juniper West and Upper Aberdeen that, that are uh, zoned for RS1S. Um, but those carriage suites are not permitted, uh, elsewhere. And now you could come in for a rezoning and it could be, it's on a case by case. And the rationale for that at this time is that when you take a look at the city, uh, look at our infill neighborhoods, really our key core sector neighborhoods, the downtown, you look at, um, even parts of Sagebrush, you look at North Kamloops, Brock, uh, those neighborhoods still feature a lot of bungalow style homes, right? right. You still see a lot of sing, um, single family homes that are one story, uh, and so if, if these are supposed to be accessory dwellings, right? right, they're supposed to be subordinate, right? So if we, and we want them to be sensitive infill, uh, housing forms, right? So we want them to, to come in and, and not disrupt the forming character of the neighborhood too much. So if we start allowing at this point outright carriage suites, uh, that are two story, when you have that one story as, as the primary building form on a block, right. uh, it's going to tower over the block, right? right. Uh, now we know uh, we're seeing homes redeveloped to two stories. People are making, uh, you know, uh, re- really, really making additions yep. to their homes, redeveloping homes, uh, you know, expanding their homes um, to achieve max lot coverage, et cetera. So I think a key piece is um, is is just really informing people that these regulations and amendments that we've made are not static. So, uh, and it's never the case with, with housing when, you know, in terms of how cities regulate housing, right? I mean, the city has to be responsive to the needs of the community. And so as these neighborhoods start to shift and, and you start to see more two story homes, bigger homes, max lot coverage in North Council Brock, uh, downtown East end, et cetera, sagebrush, um, you know, I think we will re, um, re-examine that and that, okay. that might be in the coming years. And so if you are in like a neighborhood like Sagebrush, for instance, where you have a bungalow, 10 blocks of straight single family bungalows, mm-hmm. if you did have that one corner lot and lot where it did look like you could probably build a carriage suite and it wouldn't really upset the look and feel a rezoning that, that you would take that into account if someone tried to rezone that lot. Yeah, and that that can be taken into consideration, right? So, exactly, it doesn't not mean we're not sure, allowing. No. Yeah. Uh, but the you know the key piece and what we heard from community in terms of um, allowing secondary suites and garden suites outright is that rezoning was actually a major barrier. So, um, what we heard in terms of our public engagement, which was quite thorough, we had a ton of feedback. We have a 115 page document with 1,500 comments from people. So people really had a lot to say about suites when we went out and did public engagement. Um, a key piece was, was that rezoning, uh, is such a barrier, right? The, um, the idea of, of having to pay $1,500 just to rezone, and then you still need a building permit, uh, to have to put up a big sign on your lawn and maybe be subject to the scrutiny of your neighbors to have to go and stand in front of council at a public hearing to have to add an extra eight to 12 weeks onto your process, um, you know, that, that's something that I think a lot of people were just like, you know what, to hell with it. I'm going to go ahead and work with a contractor and just, build just my build my suite. Right. Like yeah. I don't have time to deal with this. And I, that seems a bit daunting to me. Right. Yeah. And fair enough. Uh, so we recognize that. Uh, and when, you know, we look at the stats in terms of other communities, when other communities took away that rezoning requirement, took away that cost, that $1,500 cost, took away that eight to 12 weeks of the permitting and approvals process. Yeah. They saw their numbers in terms of legal suites go go up. Oh, is that right? um, so yeah. So when we look at Kelowna, Abbotsford, Nanaimo, 
uh, all the, these other cities in the province. There's tons of unauthorized suites still in these cities, but they also have into the thousands in each of these cities of legal suites. Right. And so what's the difference? Uh, even Prince George, uh, since 2011, when they updated their zoning, uh, they, they saw hundreds of, of legal suites uh, constructed under a building permit. So really, it was Council Chilliwack that had very low numbers annually of legal suites built, and Council Chilliwack were the only cities that did not have, had not taken away that that uh, removed that rezoning barrier. Right. Right. So, Kelowna, Nanaimo, Abbotsford, um, you know, uh, Prince George, even all these communities were seeing their their number of legal. They still had tons of you know not thousands more. of unauthorized suites. Yeah. But they were seeing their numbers increase. And so that's what we're hoping to see and we're going to monitor for. And again, these are the things that we look at when we consider further policy adjustments in the future. So looking at, it's, it's nice that you have the ability to go to Chilliwack and say, okay, now that you guys, you guys were ahead of us, mm-hmm. what were the problems that became problems after you did that? Did, yeah. did you have parking issues? Did you have like more noise complaints in, in the denser areas? Yeah. Was there any problems that popped up in those areas that you guys looked at and, and are kind of aware and just got your ears out for that may happen here? Absolutely. So one of the pieces in terms of our regulations, because now it's permitted under zoning, but there's still regulations around, you know, you need to have minimum uh, 464 square meter, just under 5,000 square foot lot area to have a suite. If you have a really small urban lot, um, you know, you're still not permitted to have a suite. You need to have 15 meters of lot frontage and lot width. So these kind of things. And part of that is, uh, is, is about that on-street parking piece and how to mitigate that. And part of it is making sure that we don't, um, you know, add too much density in a neighborhood that's not prepared to, to handle it. Right. Um, so, you know, in terms of uh, the parking piece, that that is something, right? I mean, that was the key piece of feedback we got from the public. The biggest concern is what's going to happen to on-street parking. It's going to get worse. And when we looked at Chilliwack and other communities, uh, without naming, you know, mean, calling out municipalities, there are a couple of municipalities out there that that didn't move to uh, to add a, an additional parking stall requirement. Uh, and those communities wow. have experienced some major pains. Uh, the communities that did add the additional parking stall requirement have had virtually no complaints. Like that was that was a major piece of feedback from the other communities. Is there was this um, sort of preconceived notion that there would be a lot of complaints. Uh, and a lot of additional issues in neighborhoods, but there weren't. And part of it is probably that in all these communities, there are already thousands of suites. Yeah, right? yeah you're not really upsetting the number big. You're, no. you're actually just tweaking it. Yeah, right? and really hopefully addressing that that health and safety piece and sensitively integrating those suites. Um, so what we've done in our community is at this point, um, the requirement is three unstacked off-street parking stalls. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be side by side by side. As long as you can accommodate like it on your lot. It could yeah, be it do, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, sorry, it can't be tandem. Oh, so it can't be tandem. It has to be unstacked. Unstacked, okay. Yeah, but but that, but that it doesn't have to be side by side by side. As long as each one of those vehicles can, can exit the lot unimpeded, right? So you could have two stalls side by side and then one stall accessed off your lane, off your alley, right? right. You could have two stalls side by side and one stall that kind of um, curves around and, and, and parks, you know, parallel with the street, right? So as long as you're providing your 40% front yard landscaping. And so what we're going to do, and this was a, a recommendation from a couple of communities, when we do our, we're going to develop a guide to residential suites, uh, which has, you know, lays out in 
Um, pretty basic terms, the building code requirements, the zoning requirements, development guidelines for garden and carriage suites, like some of that hits the high point so people can kind of make an informed decision themselves. Right. Um, and in that, we want to show with an average sort of 464 square meter lot, average sized home on that lot with max lot coverage, how you could accommodate, you know, some different examples of how you could accommodate parking on that lot. Right. Because we still want to see people, you know, with green space on their lots. We want to people, and a part of that is about, this is a sort of separate piece, but part of that is about stormwater retention as well. We want to make sure that, you know, people have, you know, attractive landscaping to help add to the attractiveness of the neighborhood. Uh, and also in terms of major storm events, you know, if you have green space, that's, that's going to absorb uh, rainwater yep. and prevent runoff a lot more than, um, than hardscaping. Right. Yep. Uh, and again, there's a ton of ways to do that. It's a whole other conversation, but, um, but yeah, we want to make sure that people are aware that just because you have to provide three, uh, unstacked is in unimpeded parking stalls. It doesn't mean it has to be side by side by side. Cause that right. could be really difficult on a lot of lots. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I think it's good. I, I, I feel relieved that you take a look at storm sewer and like water runoff and like, cause we get these crazy storms in Kamloops mm-hmm. that happen two, three times a year mm-hmm. where you just get like this massive water and, and storm sewers are not built to handle those days. Yeah. They're just built to handle the average days. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel relieved that you took that into account. I don't know why, but I just make yeah. me happy. And, and, <laughs> and on that note, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we, we do storm sewers. Uh, the, the idea is about making sure our drainage system as a whole. So in terms of natural drainage channels, overland flow, uh, storm sewers, that they can manage actually those bigger storm events. Okay. Right. So, these are some areas um, are currently, of course, not currently sized right. for that. Um, but but that is something that our, our our engineering group is always looking at, and and there are improvements being made all the time to mitigate that because uh, you know we really want to want to manage uh, and prepare for increasing climate change events. Uh, one of which is going to be increased storm events, right? So right. Uh, again, whole other topic, uh, and and there's a whole bunch of improvements that are that are have happened already and are in the works on that. Um, but we recognize that that our city infrastructure needs to be prepared to to mitigate those events. Interesting. Yeah. What, was there any other problems that were associated with the aftermath of changing that zoning in other communities that you're aware of? Yeah, no, I mean, and th- that was was the key piece of feedback. I mean, I think parking, uh, you know, the parking issue in neighborhoods is uh, something that um, every community already faces. And, yep. and there wasn't an uptick except in those communities where they didn't add the extra parking stall. Right. Um, what about the, schooling? In terms of schooling, how so? Yeah, like, so, okay, we have a whole new subdivision that allows for legal suites. Um, if we take in another 300 units in this subdivision, where are those kids going to go to school if they're, if they have kids, you know, if kids yeah. are in the basement, right? So part of it on that, that's a great question, um, is it's, it is incremental, right? Um, again, the fact that there's already thousands because of suites, the suites out are there. there and they're already acting um, in that matter. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, on that similar note, like when we talk to our, our, again, our engineering side in terms of, uh, our utilities engineers, um, they love suites because it's incremental growth, right? Uh, right. you add a whole new subdivision of single family on, on greenfield development, there's a whole host of yeah. things you have to now manage for. You've now added hundreds of units where previously there was trees and sagebrush and whatever else. Uh, this is already established infrastructure. This is infill, right? And it's right. very sensitive. So you add a unit here, you add a unit there. 
Um, and in terms of the school district, I think they, they are always working with us. Um, they're aware of our growth strategy. Um, we do meet fairly frequently uh, with their planning group to talk about how the city is projected to grow in the next five years and 10 years. So uh, we have a close working relationship with them. Um, and I mean, there is definitely needs in terms of um, schools and, and school space in this community, which are well documented in the media. And a lot of that comes down to uh, how the school district can secure that funding uh, from the province, right? So that's uh, that's something that, you know, it's just constant negotiations and our school district's working diligently to add space where where it's needed. But uh, but these are, the, the, you know, the, the province and the school district kind of has those discussions, right. so. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, we talked a little bit about, like, health and safety. So I, I kind of made a list of, like, the typical concerns that would probably come yeah. up um, in a situation where you have a non uh, an un- unauthorized suite. We used right. to call it non-conforming. Maybe that's real estate lingo, but an, an, a suite that's basically illegal. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, we would have potential for electrical issues because in the case of like, how do you get a permit to install a range plug if you don't have the proper zoning for a basement suite? Right. How do you get the seven extra outlets around the kitchen dining room area where you'd conventionally in a 1975 bungalow, Mm -hmm. you would probably have two or three circuits that would take out your whole basement. Right. right? Um, So there's there's probably a fairly good electrical concern, which you probably don't necessarily, like from a building city perspective, that's another whole jurisdiction, right? right? Yeah. Um, Okay, so then we talk about like firewall protection. Yeah. Yeah. Like creating a gas vapor within the basement suite. Interconnected smoke alarms, et cetera. Interconnected smoke alarms. So, so I, you know, without going too far down the building code end yep. of things, um, I do think that, uh, you know, taking away that rezoning piece uh, is key. Because, again, now someone can come in, speak with a building official, sort of, you know, do an assessment of what is needed, right? Do I, what, what do I need to do to, to have my suite pass inspection and, and be safe. Right. And I mean, I think the, one of the other pieces that's interesting right now is at a provincial level, there is sort of a dialogue about, um, the regulations for homes, existing homes, uh, with suites and, uh, the national building code now has these uh, alternate um, standards, I guess, for uh, existing homes with suites, right? To try to get ah, people to, okay. to, yeah. uh, to, to have their suites legalized under a building permit, right? And make sure that they're inspected and, and meeting safety requirements. And um, so the provincial building code, the BC building code, uh, there is this, this review happening and nothing's been adopted at this point, but they are looking and considering some some alternate standards. And again, part of that is recognition that, you know, we want to have suites inspected. We want to make sure that, that they're meeting uh, life safety issues. Right. So, and I think there's a distinction between, um, and again, I, I'm not a building official, so this is, right. you know, I'm not, this is not the city's official stance <laughs> on, this is not the city's official stance on, on building code regulations at all. But, um, you know, th- there are property protection uh, issues and then life safety issues, right? And some of them are interconnected and are, you know, it's, it, it's hard to separate them out when you really break it down because some things might be property protection issues, might be livability issues in terms of how your suite is constructed. Um, and other or things might be issues. efficiency issues as right. well, right? So, 
Um, but you know, one, one of the key pieces here is, you know, when we talked with our, our, our fire department is, um, you know, uh, fire detection, right? So, you know, interconnected smoke alarms and, and meeting the code requirements on that is, is key. And then, you know, if, if a fire breaks out in one part of, of the house that whether it's in, in your principal dwelling and upstairs in your home, or it's in the basement suite, uh, if those two, if your tenant and homeowner are not, you know, or your homeowner is asleep or tenants asleep, you know, you want to have that, right? So you can get out yep. in the event of a fire. That's a life safety uh, code issue, right? Uh, and then if you talk about, you know, fire separation, that could also be a life safety code issue. Uh, but there's certain things around, you know, ceiling heights that, uh, and, and sort of door frame widths and things like that, that are in the code that, uh, those are kind of being looked at. And again, um, is it going to be at a point where you can just have any ceiling height? No, because then it's a major livability issue. Right. and could also be life safety. Uh, egress, sorry, is another life safety uh, issue. So making sure there is uh, the ability for the tenant to exit the suite unimpeded in the event of a fire, right? right. So um, yeah, I don't want to go too far down the building code um, angle. Again, I'm not, I'm not a city building official, but um, these are things that I know there is discussion happening at a provincial level. Uh, and And I think it would be you know, really helpful, yeah. uh, for communities like Kamloops and well, any community in the province, uh, because, you know, someone may now be able to have their suite inspected if they meet these alternate standards and pass inspection with, you know, less cost on the homeowner and greater likelihood that they're going to come in and get it inspected. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Having a non-conformal suite or an unauthorized suite. unauthorized suite, um, as a homeowner, and I wanted to go have it a permit pulled for it and like would it pass what are the steps somebody well, okay, has so to here, take I'll, i want to jump in on that okay because and i'm not attacking yeah. this idea because i'm going to take the average yeah. unauthorized suite okay that's yeah. in a basement of a basement entry home yeah. that's 1980s vintage yeah. okay which is built a lot different than a basement entry yeah. home built in 2018 because basement entry homes have Builders design the homes with the idea that if, not all of them, but a good majority of them, mm -hmm. if this was going to be suited, let's just rearrange where this door goes and where this wall would go and where the bathroom plumbing hooks up. Yeah. But let's say if we're going back to like a 1980s basement entry home, it's already got a suite in it. Right. So realistically, kitchen plugs are not going to be, they were not permitted. Right. Because maybe an electrician did them, but he didn't pull a permit to do them. Right. So that means opening up a wall. Firewall separation, which is something that could be retrofitted in most cases, let's say, yeah. fairly easy. Yeah. Um, a separate heating source. Yeah. So ducts have to be all, you know, isolated from basement access and give them their own separate heating system, which is something that could be fairly easily retrofitted, in my right. opinion. Um, but then the efficiency side of things, like, are, do we have a better, do we have to re-insulate our basement to make sure that we meet insulation code? Um, you mentioned ceiling heights, maybe some leniency there. That That's good. Mm -hmm. um, egress in a 1970s bungalow. Right. Those are going to be, you know, those are going to be some serious upgrades that, yeah. that probably have to take, be taken into account. I don't see the average guy coming in yeah. to the city of Kamloops um, saying, I, I'm running an illegal suite, right. but I want to fix it. Yeah. And it, it's just not going to be 3,500 bucks. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just not going to be a simple, it's going to be a heartbreaking experience financially yeah. Yeah. to redo everything. Yeah. And when you take into account that you have contractors coming in going, 
you know, I had my brother, the electrician, put that wire in. Right. I don't care. Like the yeah. permit that I need to pull makes makes me liable for what's mm-hmm. going to happen. So I have to open up this wall, yeah, and run this this way, yeah. You know, yeah. And I guess my my answer to that is, you know, in looking at other communities, it's not um, it's 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 not the case that we're going to see we're going to see an uptick in terms yeah. of legal suites. Uh, or all 5,800, you know, for sure. remaining uh, unauthorized suites, people going to come not. flooding in? No, of course not, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's not the case in other communities. That's why these other communities that changed their zoning bylaws as far back as 2005 um, still have into the thousands of unauthorized suites, right? right. Um, but I think it's the, the, the key intent of this is to remove that, that regulatory requirement so wherever possible, you know, people can... Uh, who who have the ability to you know encouraging people to take that step yep. to get a building permit and and again we're not going to see every or even close to every basement suite um, uh, be, be legalized under building yep. permit getting retrofitted um, but we may see some right and and um, even if our number you know our thirty ish uh, building permits for suites a year were to double and go to sixty. That's still an increase, right? In terms of ones that that's a win, right? I mean, anything is, if it's as simple as removing a a regulatory requirement uh, that's in place and that's a barrier to people, that's a win, right? And and I think in terms of new construction is where we'll really see see it, right? So that, and that's the experience of Chilliwack and some of these other communities is that, you know, we, instead of getting a, you know, a layout that just has like a roughed in basement and it's put in after inspection, uh, now, you know, you're seeing full, full layouts, you know, the kitchen, et cetera. Yeah, you're, not, you're not going backwards on your cost, right? Yeah. You might as well just pull the permit. Right. You're not yeah. rezoning. You don't have to go through that. Yeah. You don't have to go so, through the rezoning. And, yeah. and I think for new builds too, timing is everything for getting that product to market. Right. And so if you yeah. remove not so much the $1,500 rezoning. So for, you know, uh, you know, big, you know, big time builders, $1,500, you know, rezone is, is cost, but it's, I think the eight to 12 weeks sure. of additional time, that's the big hold up right yep. and so us taking that out of the mix and now it's just straight to building permit few weeks right like it's you know and you're doing it with your new build that's that's going to be i think a, a huge incentive so the conversation mm-hmm. that i just had is, is that a conversation you're being faced with like are um, people saying this isn't going to happen because you know like it's not going to happen in retrofit aspect because the cost is going to be too high it, it is. I mean, we've, yeah, all these conversations are things that, yeah. you know, people are, are wondering about. I can about. see the look in your body when you're like, yes, Parker, I've heard this before. You're <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything new to me. Well, no, no. For, I mean, yeah. you know, but I mean, we've, you know, we've been doing a lot of engagement for months, right? And these are all great questions. It's all yeah. a good conversation. I think the, the guide, again, though, is also going to be key, right? Because, you know, really laying it out for people um, in a, you know, we don't have to be a 40-page document. Nobody's going to read that, right? But like an attractive, you know, 10-page document, yeah. 12-page document that says, you know, here's your basic building code requirements. Here's your basic zoning. Here's some development guidelines. If you want to do a garden and carriage suite, here's how long timing is, what the costs are yep. of these in terms of city end, you know, our permitting and approvals process, right? Like, yes, of course, you're st- you might still have to pay a few thousand bucks in terms of, you know, construction costs and materials for your home. But in terms of our permitting end, you might only be facing a few hundred bucks, like $50 building permit application fee sure. and, you know, three to $400 of plumbing and permitting fees. I mean, that you know, laying that out for people, I think, and then, and then people can make the decision. Okay. Now do I want to take the next step and go in and talk to a city building official? Now do I want to contract uh, or contact my contractor or whatever? Like, I mean, I think, you know, these days with the way the world's gone, people want that information at their fingertips. And and I would be the first to acknowledge that, 
Um, you know, right now in terms of suites, our city website is not geared to have that information readily accessible like it is in some other communities. Right. And that was something else we heard from some of these other communities is that, um, the second they put that guide in, you know, it, it, that Streamline actually, it, it helped, right. Yeah. It actually having information available, demystifying the process, having a spot on the city website where you can just go and KK, yep. Building code. Thing. And, and it's not going to have, you know, every single building code regulation, but a high level, right? Enough to kind of, you know, get you thinking and sort of, you know, have a basic idea of, is this something that's remotely feasible for me? Uh, that's going to be key, right? Yeah. So our, our goal is is still to try to have that out by end of the year, early 2020. Um, and, uh, and and then the other piece is going to be that that legal suite app. And that that's more just like a, a nice tool. So people with legal suites that can be like, okay, now your legal suite is you know, shown on this map and people, if they're looking for, for suites can, you know, can I, can identify that and find it just kind of stand out in the marketplace a bit. So be great for real estate agents. Yeah. It's a real liable, you know, step that you take if you're saying using the word legal right. or non-conforming, which yeah. is unauthorized for yeah. the sake of argument. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I want to propose a scenario Okay. and you tell me without, uh, just tell me what the city in theory would do, because this is probably going to be something that comes up. Somebody is running a uh, unauthorized basement suite in their house. And now that we can legally build a uh, garden suite, we're going to apply for a garden suite, but they have no intentions on removing the basement suite. Is there going to be a process for that? Because the city has a really good idea where those non conforming unauthorized suites live. Fairly good. So if I'm pulling a permit to build a um, garden suite, yeah. are you going to make me take the basement suite out? Uh, under the regulations, yes. And you're going to find out if it's there? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it's a... It's, it's going to be a... That's going to be for the building inspector. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to be on... You know, it, it depends how the process works, how that inspection process works, right? So... And so yeah. I'm just yeah. mildly like... Hmm, and okay. again, again, th- these are things that, again, housing regulations are, are never static, right? Like this is the regulations that are in place at this time. Yeah. Um, you know, in five to seven years time, again, 10 years time, perhaps you may see homes where you can have... Uh, a basement suite and also have a garden suite on the same lot. I mean, you know, that that's the thing is I think, you know, we're, we're continuing to evolve in terms of uh, to respond to the needs of community and, and, you know, livability, affordability, right. These things are all key, right. So um, homes continue to get more expensive and homeowners need to be able to mitigate that cost somehow. Right. So, um, you know, we've seen, uh, housing costs continue to go up and up and up year over year for for five seven years now, and um, you know we're on track for the biggest year over year increase in over a decade, right? So you know we're we're cognizant of that, um, and you know in terms of housing options and things like that, right? I mean garden suites and carriage suites are a great housing option for a whole slew of people in the community, right? Oh, for I sure. mean, yeah. Uh, and I think for homeowners, uh, garden and carriage suites are, are a great option if you, you know, have a family and you do need that basement, um, you know, you do need that, that, space. that, that space in your yeah. principal dwelling. Uh, and maybe it's a privacy thing too. So having a, a separate sort of unit on your, on your property, you know, could be a real win-win. So, um, can I like pose another question here for you? The areas of town that don't, that the zoning has not changed, 
outlying areas. Dallas, Barnerville. Nutsford, Rayleigh, Huffley. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So would the rezoning application for those properties be more attainable from a perspective of winning the um, the thumbs up from city planners if I was to try and rezone a property in Barnhartville just to put a basement suite in? No. Or is it still going to be, that's still going to be a quick shutdown? Uh, it all, again, it, 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 some of it is is case by case, but in general, no, we're not we're not permitting um, uh, suites in suburban and rural areas of the city, right? So, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, Barnhart Vale uh, and some of our outlying areas, Noble Creek, uh, etc., have water system capacity issues. Right. There is a limit without adding a huge new reservoir and a huge amount of cost, huge amount of infrastructure. There there is a limit on those water systems, right? Right. Um, and some people have the ability to subdivide currently under existing zoning. And so if we start allowing rezonings for suites on other lots and people with existing zoning currently, uh, you know, now can no longer have that ability to subdivide their property, um, you know, and some, some can't subdivide. Right. So, I mean, there's, it, it really, the, because of the topography, there are some areas of Barnhart Vale where it's, it's really at a more critical point than others, but in general, rather than trying to regulate this on a on a block by block basis that's yeah. not recommended you is a you know in terms of planning you shouldn't start regulating on a block by block basis you should stick to the zoning apply it by neighborhood have some governing rules um that's that's part of the reason and the other reason is you know when we look at our city we're quite spread out uh and and by allowing suites in all urban areas urban areas is it, it, that's a huge swath of our city's right. population 93 percent of the city live in urban areas so we're already opening the door uh, quite a bit at this time, right? So that's all the way up to Aberdeen. That's out to West Side. That's it's going to it's you know Camel Creek currently has right. urban land use, so Camel Creek is yeah. you know uh, allowed to have secondary suites and, and basement suites. Um, you know all of our core sector neighborhoods out to Brock, right? Uh, and, and Dallas as well, Dallas, uh, changed to urban land use under the official community plan. And so that's a piece that's going to be updated during the zoning bylaw update. So, um, you know, Dallas will be a neighborhood that, that will be able to, once the zoning changes, uh, will be permitted to under that zoning allow, uh, secondary suites and garden suites. And again, it's on a lot by lot. There are silt bluff issues in some of those areas and definitely, uh, you know, it says right in our regulations that suites are not permitted in the, in the silt bluff red zone. So, um, that could be a, a limiting factor as well. Here's maybe a question for the inspection inspection division, but I'm going to throw it your way anyways. Um, the, the term grandfathered gets used a lot. And recently I was involved in a, uh, transaction where that term was used listed with uh, a grandfathered suite right is, can you comment on that is there is there such thing um when you pull the bir it says clearly secondary suites not permitted right yeah yeah i, I mean it's all case by case basis right. i'm not sure of the context and again some of those questions are probably more more building, yeah. building division questions um Generally, yeah, I mean, we, if, you know, if a suite hasn't been constructed under a building permit at any point, uh, if it wasn't permitted under a building permit, then it's, it's generally in, in most, most cases not authorized, right? right. So let's that's say, the key let's piece. say all, but we just haven't checked. Um, well, no, I mean, they're, they're so sort of in the history of our city, uh, there may be some homes where, you know, again, you'd have to look at the permit, right? The permit history, you'd have to pull the permit. Right. So 
that's uh that's a key piece right okay. that's the key piece now in urban areas now that zoning is no longer um it's it's permitted under zoning in most of most urban areas yeah okay i'm kind of off topic now yeah years ago i read somewhere that there was approximately 33 34000 dwellings in in Kamloops. Right. and i think our population yeah. at that time when i read that was 89000 or 88000 right. people yeah does that sound about right am i close uh, probably if you were looking at census 2016, it was, yeah, it was 9280. Okay. 90,280. So yeah. In, in, in reading the cam plan, yeah. you're planning out to 120,000 capacity yeah. in Kamloops. Yeah. If you just do the math on that, yeah. then in the next 20 years, we're looking at another 12,000 dwellings. Right. Yeah. So like the, the first thing that comes to me, cause I live on the East part of town is yeah. <clears throat> what about gridlock? Right. Is that really something that has been discussed with... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yes, it has. I can't uh, wait for there's a document that says, here's our strategic plan, how we're going to fix... Well, the the transportation master plan is a good good document to check. Okay. So yeah. um, the in terms of parking, yeah, I mean, sorry, uh, traffic. Yep. Um, been, been, yeah, thinking about parking so much of late. Uh, but yeah, in terms of traffic, um, yeah, I mean, that's all, all looked at there. Is when the transportation master plan was developed, they did... Uh, this modeling they do across all neighborhoods. Okay. Um, and again, that's our traffic transportation engineers, but they do look at that and they, and we looked at that in terms of the OCP and where we're intending to grow. Um, and, and yeah, there are some areas where there are, you know, road network improvement upgrades, which you can see the list of them are in the transportation awesome. master plan. Yeah. Um, generally our focus, our mandate from council is focusing on uh, a hierarchy of transportation modes that puts pedestrians and cyclists in transit first, uh, and then multi-occupant vehicles, commercial vehicles, and the private vehicles last, right? right. So um, really it's, and that's a big shift. I mean, I think when we've always thought about our road network, it's not that, that we don't care about people driving private vehicles at all. No, we do care. Um, efficiency. But, but it's, it's it, the, over time, the focus historically is on the road network is thinking about vehicles. And now we need to think about all travel modes, right? So right. we've seen the Peterson Creek Maltese path uh, added. Uh, we've the, 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 the Hawk Tem Trail. Um, and there's other major, um, you know, active transportation improvements that are going to help facilitate that. Uh, but we know that, uh, we live in a city that's cold many months of the year and people aren't going to be biking, even if they have an e-bike, right. And and e-bikes are great. And we have policies that are coming that are, you know, we're going to have an EV and e-bike strategy in the next year or two, uh, that will have a lot of policies on that to really encourage, um, making sure that we have that infrastructure and development for electric vehicles, uh, and that we have, you know, e-bike storage with charging areas and things like that and multifamily developments. So we are trying to encourage that mode shift. Uh, transit, we've seen, you know, an increase of thousands of hours this fall, and that's continually looked at in partnership with BC Transit. Um, and then carpooling. So, you know, do we need to look at potentially, uh, you know, in the West Vic construction, there was a high occupancy vehicle lane for buses. Do we need to look at that for if there's, you know, multi-occupant vehicles, you got more right. than one person in your vehicle. Do we need to look at that at peak hours and arterials, right, to incentivize people to carpool? Um, but we know there's going to be continued cars on the road. Probably what's going to happen is instead of being gas powered, they're going to transition to electric vehicles. Right. right? But people are going to continue to drive. Right. So, um, 
the transportation master plan does also look at, uh, you know, what is our standard for uh, sort of break it down to layperson's terms. What is our standard for how long people should be waiting at lights and intersections and things like that? Right, like, what okay. are wait times like? And we had a fairly high threshold for that in terms of like, no, we got to get people shuttled through. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, you know, in terms of that, it's, it's, it, it's accepting that there is going to be some increased congestion as well. Right. So, the driving experience uh, will, as we grow as a city, become a little more challenging, and that's that's not unique to us. Kelowna experienced it. Every right. every growing community, as it passes the hundred thousand mark and beyond, experiences it, right? Sure. Yeah. And as you get larger and larger, uh, it becomes uh, you know those are just the realities of a growing city. Is that a conversation that you just noticed recently? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a conversation in terms of my work that I've noticed more recently. Probably our traffic and transportation folks could comment on that with the West Vic construction, the Red Bridge, um, you know, maintenance work that was taking place and some other issues lately. Um, th- there, there's obviously in the media and, and, and in public discourse been this thing about, you know, increased congestion of late and, and me as a driver. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed it. Um, uh, I also think when, and again, this is just conjecture, but when school goes back in, you know, you have, you know, I don't even know what TRU's current population is, 15,000 or whatever. You have this huge influx in a town of just over 90,000 people yeah. that come back to go to school. Uh, and, and we are a university town. Like that's one thing that I think a lot of Kamloopsians, myself included, you know, for years, university was just quietly growing at such a rapid mm. pace. The, we are a university town, right? I mean, we have Largest employer in Kalos. It's massive, yeah. right? Uh, and it's just continuing to grow. Now they're doing the University Village concept, which is great. Uh, and totally, you know, full points to TRU. It's awesome. Uh, and But, you know, that definitely adds a significant influx come September. Sure. So. Awesome. Well, I totally appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, and it sounds like you got a lot on your plate moving forward. Um, I, I found it to be really important, really, really helpful the meeting that you did at Royal LePage with all the Royal LePage ag- agents was, uh, it, it's so helpful because we deal with public all the time that aren't necessarily going onto the city camel's website. Yeah. They don't understand the difference between an unauthorized suite and a legal suite. I don't know how many times I have that conversation with mm-hmm. people every day, but um, it's really important that we got it correct. Yeah. And we understand what, what the process is and, and what the pitfalls may be and, and, and how to move people in a direction that allows them to do it the right way yeah. and, and not to be deceived in any way, mm-hmm. right? So that, yeah. so that things are happening the way they should. Um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and coming and joining us. And yeah. hopefully your first podcast was a good one. <laughs> Thank you so much, Parker. <laughs> cool. Thanks, man. Call Parker Bennett now for your complimentary home evaluation. 